0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Mark, chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Well, good morning, and I want to thank you for the opportunity to share God's word with you this morning. As a matter of fact, opportunity is going to be our focus this morning And in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11, we're going to see three things that involve opportunity. First of all, we'll see the religious leaders seeking an opportunity to arrest and to kill Jesus. We're going to see Mary seeking an opportunity to show Jesus just how much she loved him. And we're going to see Judas seeking an opportunity to betray him and make some money. Now, when you think about it, When God chose to create us and to give us life, he also chose to give us opportunities. So the question becomes, what opportunities are we going to seek? Are we going to seek opportunities that give us glory, or are we going to seek opportunities that give God glory? So let me start off and get us thinking about this whole concept of opportunity by just reading a few quotes about opportunity from a variety of people. Winston Churchill said, A pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. An optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Jack Hiles said, Tribulation gives you the opportunity to test a truth you've always believed. In other words, like God is good. Do I believe that? Well, in a tribulation, I have the opportunity to test that and to see that God is still good, even in the tribulation. Warren Wearsby said, opposition is not only evidence that God is blessing, but it's also an opportunity for us to grow. Every temptation is an opportunity to do good. So instead of choosing to give in to that temptation, to overcome it and to do good. That was Rick Warren. Peter Marshall said this, May we think of freedom not as the right to do as we please, but as the opportunity to do what is right. May we think of freedom not as the right to do as we please, but freedom is the opportunity to do what is right. And then A.B. Simpson said this, Behold, or beloved, have you ever thought that someday you will not have anything to try you or anyone to vex or bother you again? There will be no opportunity in heaven to learn or to show the spirit of patience, tolerance, forbearance, and long-suffering. If you're to practice these things, it must be now. No opportunity for that in heaven, but as we know, plenty of opportunity to do that here. Max Licato said, if today were your last, if today were the last day of your life, would you, be, would you do what you're doing? And I commend you for being here this morning, so hopefully you would. Or would you, love, would you love more, give more, forgive more? Then do so. Forgive and give as if it were your last opportunity. Love like there's no tomorrow, and if tomorrow comes, love again. So never lose an opportunity of urging a practical beginning, however small, For it is wonderful how often in such matters the mustard seed germinates and roots itself. And that was from Florence Nightingale, the founder of modern nursing. Never lose that opportunity of starting something small that has a practical use that God will be glorified. Good morning, sister. Good to see you. E.M. Uh, Bounds, a mighty man of prayer, said this, The people who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. Early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning and its opportunity and freshness in other pursuits than seeking God will make poor headway seeking Him the rest of the day. If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, He will be in last place the remainder of the day. Here lies the tremendous mystery. This is Elizabeth Elliot. Here lies the tremendous mystery that God should be all-powerful yet refuse to coerce. He summons us to cooperation. We are honored in being given the opportunity to participate in His good deeds. You see, it's not our good deeds. He invites us to participate in His good deeds good deeds remember how he asked for help in performing his miracles at the wedding at Cana he said fill the water pots I'll do something special He said to the man with the withered hand stretch out your hand and a miracle took place and then he said to the disciples and those that were there with the 5,000 distribute the loaves God gives us opportunities even to be a part of his miracles. And then lastly, G.V. Wigram said, The question of speaking to souls, in other words, evangelism, sharing our faith, is a question of personal love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not say that you have no gift for it. Do you love Christ? If so, you will never lose an opportunity of speaking a word for him. So again, as I said before, the question becomes, what opportunities are we going to seek? Will we seek opportunities to glorify us, or will we seek opportunities to glorify God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning to hear from you, the opportunity to invite the Holy Spirit to come and to open our spiritual eyes, to peek inside our heart, to be that living and active word, to to do the surgery that you need to do, to pull those things out of us that are of the world and of the flesh and of the enemy. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to sit in your presence and to experience your power. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to know that as we are in Christ, that we are safe and secure for all eternity in him. That he is our inheritance and we are his. That he abides in us and we abide in him. Lord, Lord, what a great opportunity we have this morning to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another to love and good deeds. And Father, even as we're looking at these situations of opportunity and thinking about the ones that you may give us this week, Lord, Give us a sensitivity to them and an obedience and a willingness to pursue them with all of our heart and to trust you to do what you need to accomplish in our lives and in the lives of those that you allow us to touch. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you will, open up to Mark chapter 14 if you're not already there. And let's look at verse 1. We're going to walk through this passage a little bit and look at these three opportunities. Mark chapter 14, verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. All right, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, exactly what was that? If you will, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, so just start at the beginning with Genesis and go to the book of Exodus chapter 12. God is getting Moses and the people of Israel ready to exit Egypt and to leave after 400 years of slavery there. And so this is where the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread originates from. And if you will, go to Exodus chapter 12 and go to verse 7. This is the Lord speaking to Moses and Aaron and telling them the things that are going to take place as this day approaches. He says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, speaking of this lamb, And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, Jehovah. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Of course, this is a foreshadowing of the blood of Christ. And I always like to make this visual in my own mind as they put the the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel. And the blood drips from the lintel and forms this. And then the two doorposts form this. It's a cross. So Christ is our Passover lamb, our eternal and forever uh, sacrifice that allows the Lord to pass over our sins and for us to be forgiven and cleansed and to have new life in him. And this is just a a foreshadowing of that. And that's what the Jews were celebrating, and it was two days before that. All right? Also, if you go to Deuteronomy 16, 16, I think this will be up on the screen for you. Moses is speaking, and Deuteronomy is sort of a summary of the other books of the law as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And it says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, in this case, the temple in Jerusalem. They'll gather at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, and at the Feast of Booths. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. In other words, they are to bring a sacrifice to those three Feasts. So more than the males could come, everybody could come, but it was required that males over a certain age would come and present themselves before the Lord these three times. So this being the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you have a lot of people around Jerusalem and Judea and other parts of Israel that have come to the temple. So they're here at uh, Jesus is going to be the Passover lamb, and you've got all the nation gathered at this point in time. It's just interesting to see God's timing on things in history. And just he's always perfectly, he's never late, he's never early, never late. He's always right on time. All right. Uh, Also, I want to share this verse from Matthew 26, because Jesus makes it very clear that he's going to die and he's going to be crucified. So when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be Crucified, Jesus will become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he's very clear in terms of what's going to happen here, all right? And just to be clear, just remember, it was God's plan to deliver up his son to be crucified. Because when you read this, um, that it, they were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and, and kill him, for they said, not during the feast lest there be an uproar from the people. That was their timing, but not God's timing, all right? Uh, As a matter of fact, here's what what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So when it says, it's just, I just want you to know that when it says he was delivered up, it wasn't delivered up by the religious authorities or by the Romans or by Judas or anybody else. It was God's definite plan. He had foreordained that to happen. And so Peter makes that very clear. God's not taken off guard. Oh, what are they doing now to my son? No, it was God's plan all along to deliver up his son. All right, let's look at verse 2. And here's where we see the religious leader's timetable. All right, so they were trying to seek how to arrest him by stealth, in other words, quietly, without everybody knowing, and then kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So in other words, that's their timetable. But that was not God's timetable the Passover lamb would be delivered up during the feast, just like it was all of those years prior to that. Has God ever changed your plans or your timetable before? Anybody ever have that happen in our mind? We think, well, here's the timetable I'd like to have, and God, you know, if you just would cooperate with me today, this is the way I see it happening. And God says, "Uh, that's, I don't think that's what I had planned. So, yeah, as a matter of fact, here's two verses in Proverbs that I always think about when I think about man planning his way, because we have a tendency to want to play God and plan our way. I see a few smiles, I see a couple of elbows going, so just, all right, Proverbs 16:9 says, the heart, or the version you read might say mind, the heart or mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You might have a certain path or timetable planned out, but God is going to determine the timetable and the path that you take. He will direct your steps, which really, in a way, is kind of good because we can just put him in control and we don't have to take control. Which means, honey, when I make a mistake, I'm I'm not responsible. God is directing my steps, so just think about it that way. And then there's Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So, are we not to plan? Yes, we should plan. But we should hold our plans very loosely and very prayerfully and continue to pray about those plans even as they are being lived out and walked out to make sure that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God is guiding us in these plans to do everything we can in terms of even being accountable to other people getting counsel from other people there's victory and abundance of counselors so whatever we can do in terms of a thought that we have to make sure it's, a, it's according to the will of God and has the affirmation of others who are seeking the Spirit and, and praying alright So the religious leaders were not going to get their way. Let's look at verse 3. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over Jesus' head. Bethany, Bethany. When you think of the town of Bethany, east of Jerusalem, who do you remember that lived in Bethany? Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Yeah, they lived in Bethany. And the Mary we're talking about here is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and you can check that out in John chapter 12 gives us that information. So this was Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Now, the question is, why would Mary do such a costly thing? Especially when we know as we read these next few verses, she was kind of put down and, and, uh, you know, rebuked for that. Why would she do such an extravagant thing? If you will, turn over to Luke chapter 10, just one book over from Mark. Go to Luke chapter 10, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And this is a little episode that we see with Mary and her sister Martha and Jesus that explains a little bit about who Mary was and why she would have chosen to take this very costly uh, flask of of ointment, of nard, and pour it upon Jesus. Go to verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Okay, Luke chapter 10, verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. (laughs) I always try to picture Jesus when he's saying things like, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. What did Mary choose? She chose to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his teaching. Do we think Mary was just a lazy person who liked to put all of the work on Martha? Yeah, probably. No. I don't think so. I think she was just so in love with Christ and his word, she couldn't think about doing anything else when Jesus was there. Was Martha wrong in serving? No. No. Serving, I mean, the Bible tells us all over the place to you know, be servants of one another. But Martha was upset that, that, that Mary had chosen to do something other than help her to serve. And that's why we see that Mary is willing to take this flask, which later we're told, of, which was worth 300 denarii, which was basically a common laborer's salary for an entire year. Years' worth of earnings, a few seconds, on Jesus. But to her, it wasn't wasteful, and that's why Jesus called it a beautiful thing, because it came directly from her heart. She loved Jesus. That's why she did it. All right, let's go back to Mark now, chapter 14, verses 4 to 6. There were some who said to themselves, and I think probably muttered it out loud so that there was this consensus growing amongst the disciples. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? I mean, here's Jesus, God of gods, Lord of the universe, and Mary takes a little bit of oil and pours it on the Creator. And they're thinking, wow, what a waste. Glad we don't do anything like that. My, my, my. And they said, for this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. Judas and the disciples called it wasteful. Jesus called it beautiful. I'm going to tend to listen to Jesus, I think, instead of the disciples on this one. I'm going to see it as a beautiful thing. So how can the same act be seen by some as both wasteful and beautiful? Well, it depends on who or what you love. The disciples love themselves. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Don't you remember all the time they're on the road and they're discussing among themselves, hey, I think I'm the greatest of all of us. What do you guys think? They're always you know, trying to see who's the greatest, who's the top of the pecking order. And Judas, well, Judas loved money. We're going to see that. So to them it was wasteful because Jesus wasn't at the top of their love list, whereas with Mary Jesus was at the very top, and everything else was a very distant second to her. I'm thinking that's a good model for us, and that's why in the scriptures it will say sometimes, you know, that whoever whoever doesn't love me, whoever doesn't hate their father and mother and their brother and their sister, you know, or whoever loves his own life, in other words compared to our love for Christ, we should actually hate everything else. That's how much of a greater a great love that we should have for Christ. It, it sounds strange, but it's, it's just so true. Mary loved Jesus. Uh, if you go to John chapter 12, it says this about Judas, just to get some more insight into Judas. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this, not because he cared about the poor, all right, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So we get a little more insight into Judas's motivation for being indignant toward Mary about, you know, wasting this ointment. All right, let's look at verse 7. So Jesus says, she's done a beautiful thing to me, for you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. Should we not do good for the poor? Should we not help people, you know, give them a hand up? Should we not use our time, talents, and treasures to bless others and to lift them up in Jesus' name? Yes, we should. But Jesus is just saying, you can do that any time. Remember he said, the poor you will always have with you, but you won't always have me. And Mary, I think, recognized that. Remember how many times Jesus has told the disciples, by the way, we're going to Jerusalem, and when we get there, these are the things that are going to happen, and it's not going to end well. Well, and from the world's perspective, it's not going to end well. From God's perspective, it's just what he had planned. Mm -hmm. so the first point i'd like to make on this verse is that we should do good to others whenever we have the opportunity when god gives you an opportunity to bless a person take it do it galatians 6 9 and 10 says let us not grow weary of doing good I mean, sometimes our bodies get tired. We just have to rest. But we're, not, we're to rest so that we don't get weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. And a lot of that reaping happens in heaven, but we're also blessed sometimes on earth uh, as a result. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, including the poor, and especially to those who are of the household of faith, and in Mary's case, to the head of the household, Jesus. Do good to others whenever you have the opportunity. It doesn't take much to bless a person. It might just be a smile. Uh, it might be a handshake. It might be a thank you. Um, just saying a, a you know doing saying an act saying something that's kind, encouraging, um, being attentive to other people's needs and what's going on in their life. It really doesn't take that much to do good to people. I mean, sometimes God will ask us to get out of our comfort zone and to do bigger things, but most of the time, those little opportunities present themselves all all the time. Second point I want to make is this. Don't delay in doing good because you don't know how much time you have. And remember, time passes quickly. And the older you get, folks, the more you realize how quickly time passes. So don't waste a minute. Take the opportunity. Uh, Moses was trying to teach the people of Israel this in Psalm 90, verse 12, the only psalm that Moses wrote. It says, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In other words, it's wise to remember that our life here on this planet is temporal, that God has a certain number of days allotted to us, and to take advantage and opportunity of every single day. When you do that, that's wisdom. It doesn't mean you don't take a day to rest. It doesn't mean you don't have a, a, a period of Sabbath in your week. No. All of those things you do to stay healthy and have the ability to keep going week in and week out, month in and month out, year in, year out. In other words, don't put off until tomorrow the good that you can do today. Seize the opportunity. Opportunities. Look for them. Seize them. All right, let's look at verses 8 and 9. All right. It says, you will not always have me. And then verse 8 says, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And I do believe that Mary had insight into what was going to happen. When she said, I don't think it was just Jesus saying, she anointed my body beforehand for burial. Mary, I think, was so close to Jesus, I think she must have had this sense that he was not going to be around that much longer. And he says in verse 9, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Mary wasn't doing it to get her name recorded in Scripture. She was doing it because she loved Jesus. And she wanted to show him how much she loved him. So a couple questions here. Who can you love in a generous way over the next few weeks? We're kind of coming into the holiday period. It's a time of giving, you know, anyway, our culture does it. But who can you love in a generous way during the next few weeks? And kind of think outside the box. Maybe it's someone that you don't regularly reach out to with a card or a gift or uh, inviting them over or something like that. It might be somebody very different outside of your normal uh, sphere of influence. And then second question What extravagant act of love will you be remembered for when you die? Again, we don't do things to have something nice put on our our marker, our gravestone. That's not why we do it. But God is in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God wants to use us to accomplish His great things, His good deeds, His good works, His miracles. He wants to use you. He created us for opportunity and opportunities to glorify Him. What extravagant act of love will you be remembered for? If you were to think of your life from this point backward, what is the most extravagant act of love you ever did? Just think about that and be, be in prayer about this and see if ask the Lord, Lord, show me if there's something that you want me to do that would imitate Mary and show my great love for you. And then these last two verses, verse 10 and 11, we get to Judas and his opportunity. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Why did Judas seek an opportunity to betray Jesus. Jesus chose him. Jesus loved Judas, washed his feet. But why did Jesus seek an opportunity to betray him? Short answer is, I don't know. But here's here's a few thoughts. John 11:57 says, Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he, Jesus, was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Perhaps Judas thought that this would force Jesus to declare himself king and establish his kingdom. He may have just been tired of this long, drawn-out thing before Jesus finally just makes it fully known who he is and sets up the kingdom. Perhaps he was trying to help Usher this in, again, you know, his mind, his plans, his timetable. Um, Matthew 26, 14 to 16 then says, One of the twelve whose name was Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and says, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? So Judas is approaching them and just says, What will you give me? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Again, Judas did love money. And then perhaps Judas saw that Judas saw that his dream of climbing to the top through the, his association with Jesus wasn't going to happen. So he saw a, way, saw a way to at least make some money before it all came crashing down. Maybe that's what he was thinking. We also know from Luke 22 that Satan did enter Judas' heart into his life and had influence over him. And we also know that Judas' decision to betray Jesus fulfilled Scripture. Sometimes we don't quite understand these things, but uh, here in John 17, in Jesus' high priestly prayer, he prays, he says, While I was with them, the disciples, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. There was... Old Testament Scripture, if you kind of piece it all together, look to this moment where Jesus was going to be betrayed by a friend. And then Peter said in Acts 1.16, brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So, I know it's unbelievable, but I'm to my conclusion. Shocking. Here's the conclusion. The religious leaders sought an opportunity to arrest and kill Jesus. They were seeking power. Judas sought an opportunity to betray Jesus and make a buck. He sought money, worldly influence, and, and power as well. Mary sought an opportunity to show her extravagant love to Jesus. What was she seeking? Jesus. So the question becomes what opportunities are we going to seek? Will we seek opportunities that bring us glory or opportunities that bring God glory? You're going to get a lot of opportunities this week. You have to decide right now in your heart which way is it going to go? Which opportunities will I seek? Will I lean into? Will I embrace? Will I accept as coming from God? And if there's sacrifice involved to pursue that opportunity? Will I have the will and the strength and wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit to do it? Alright, pray with me.